¿Qué tal, mi gente? Welcome to Hello Latino. I'm Avani's Jasmine, and today's guest is Chris Gates, a first-generation Cuban-American Princeton grad, Teach for America educator, committed meditator, the list goes on. In this episode, Chris gives us a brief history on Cuba, talks about his parents' immigration story and his childhood in Miami to his journey into living from the inside out, and how he now helps other leaders do the same through his company, Rise On. Chris has dedicated his life to maximizing human potential, designing tailored coaching programs, immersive experiences, and world-class communities dedicated to unlocking mental, emotional, and physiological well-being. Trust me, in this conversation, you're going to feel his heart and soul. Que disfruten y que se inspiren. Okay, well, Chris Gates... <laughs> um well i want to know okay so where does where does your last name come so, from gates is it gates Gates, yeah gates so uh, there's two parts of this the where does it come from is kind of like a who knows there's a <laughs> there's a there's a family story that i don't quite believe that says that like eventually like if you trace it back far enough it came from like the transylvania region like somewhere in like eastern europe and oh <laughs> like it sounds like bs to me and part of why it sounds like BS to me is because when we, when, when my family came to, to the Caribbean, um, so another family story goes, we changed our name. Our name was changed, I think, to make it like easier to, I don't know, to be pronounced, to be kind of fit in into the Caribbean or into society or, or what have you. And so the only, like, if you look at my last name, the only way that you can get gates from it is if you pronounce it in spanish like the g-u-a makes the gay noise the e-i together makes the a noise and then you get the t-s so that's how we that's how we got gates that makes sense chris gates well thank you for coming on here i'm super excited to talk to you get to know you um but let's start with my favorite question and it's going to set the tone for this interview um but how do you identify and why i love it i love it i love it because there's so many ways i want to answer this question but but first those are all the ways (laughs) first and foremost i'm a human and i'm a full-time human and i and i start there because in so many ways part of my life's mission is to continue to get to know myself to discover myself and to create myself and so starting from that vantage point, it, it, uh, it does two things for me. One is it takes me out of any boxes that labels would put me in and gives me the freedom to explore. And, um, and it also gives me an opportunity to, to connect with anybody. And I really value that. Mm. So that's part one. And then, and then, but beyond that, I'm, I'm a hundred percent Cuban. I'm a hundred percent American. Um, I'm a man, I'm Latino. I'm Hispanic. I'm an athlete. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a CEO. I'm a servant leader and on and on. All the above. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Bueno, vos, you know. By the way, I go bilingual. Do you speak Spanish? Are you, I do. Are you yeah, comfortable I do. with it? Okay, okay. I'm like, yeah. sometimes I go bilingual. I want to make sure. <laughs> please, please. Um, yes, but <laughs> sobre vos, you know, like, let's talk about you and let's, you know, we can start from the beginning. You said you're Cuban, so you can talk about either you, I don't know if it's your immigration story, your parents' immigration story, or your grandparents, but talk a little bit about um, where you, where you're from and where you grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm first generation born and raised in the MIA or born and raised in the County of Dade as, as uh, some of my favorite rappers would say. <laughs> and um, yeah, born and raised in Miami. Both my parents were born in Cuba. Um, both of them um, uh, left Cuba, fled Cuba during the early days of the revolution. And so they both came to came to the states uh, when they were very young my mom was five and my dad was i believe nine Mm. and that was you know that that refugee story that immigration story is 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 central to to so many things that happened from there in my life but born and raised in miami my part of it born and raised in miami uh lifelong athlete lifelong overachiever who had a dream of playing college football and for most of my childhood, that was the, mm-hmm. the, almost the entirety of, of the world that I could imagine um, was just pursuing that dream. And like most things in my life and, and as I've learned about life mm-hmm. in general, that vision that I had for myself 
that dream was was achieved in many ways, but not in the way that I imagined it would be achieved. Mm. So, so that's, that's part of my little me story. And, what does that um, mean though? Cause you said you've achieved it, but like not in the way you wanted to. So what does that mean? Yeah. So my, my dream at growing up in Miami was to play football at the university of Miami, which, mm. um, for any football fans out there has a long tradition of, um, of championships and of NFL players. And, um, there's just a whole, you know, whole history of incredible athletes that have come there. And Miami is, um, a hotbed for football. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. So fun, fun, random fact, um, more, there's more NFL players. That's the professional football league. More NFL players come from Miami than any state. What? Yeah. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. <laughs> So I grew up in that hotbed where, where that was, that was my, you know, I had this, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually an undersized Cuban kid. So, you know, the idea that it was really audacious of me to believe that I was capable of that, um, to play at the highest levels. And, uh, and, uh, and I got a little taste of it. I got a little taste of it. I got to play at a, at a football camp at the university of Miami where I, I won an award for, for my participation, which was, which was nice. Um, but ultimately I didn't, I didn't play football there. They, they didn't, uh, they didn't offer me an athletic scholarship and on the academic side, they only offered me a partial scholarship, so I couldn't afford it. Mm. And, uh, I think things turned out. Okay. I got, I got an opportunity to, to, to study in a place where I would have, it wasn't even a dream. It wasn't on my radar, which was Princeton. I, uh, I got to go to school and play football oh. at Princeton. And wow. my reference point as a kid of Princeton was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it was, and, and, and if you watched the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the character you wanted to be was Will, not Carlton. And Carlton mm-hmm. was the one who was obsessed with Princeton. So I, I did not have any kind of like positive association to Princeton. Um, but, um, but it worked out well. Oh, it worked out well. That's awesome. Yeah. I've never met anyone who, who went to Princeton. There you go. <laughs> now I know Chris Gates. That's right. From Princeton. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So talk about, I'm curious because you said your parents were really young coming here yeah. from Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, did they know each other or did they meet like in Miami? Um, like what's, what's their, if you know it, you know, what's their yeah, history? Yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, they didn't, they, they, they didn't meet in Cuba. They met, uh, they met, I want to say in the club scene of Miami. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if they actually went in the club or not, but I know that they were both, uh, you know, they had a social life and that's how they, how they met. Okay. But their stories, but their stories are real, are real interesting. So my, my, my mother, uh, came to this country with, um, with her brother who was a year older than her and her father. And that's significant because, um, her father was a political prisoner in Cuba. My grandfather, my abuelo mm-hmm. Gustavo. And, um, and his, his story is, is, is wild. He was an elementary school teacher, son of, from like a military family. So, and very much a man of of faith and deep, deep in the church. And at the the time of the revolution, they, the authorities came looking for my grandmother who I'm not exactly sure what she was involved in, but might may have been involved in, in a women's prayer group, or I don't know, maybe was contesting the revolution in some way. And, uh, and so she dipped, she fled and they couldn't find her. So they arrested my grandpa. Mm-hmm. Basically he lost his eyesight in prison. And so a few years later, they, they let him out. And through my fa- my grandfather's connections with the church, um, he was able to, to get the family out of Cuba. Wow. And so, uh, you know, how he survived as a blind man who didn't speak the language in a new country, you know, is like is so far beyond my like comprehension of, of what's possible. I can't imagine, like, I don't know how you survive. I don't know, but, but he did, you know, his, you know, in his, in his worldview, the, the most important thing was, was education and was um, making sure that his children, my mom and my uncle got the best education they could get. And um, so he found a way to, through his relationships, I suppose, to, to put his kids through, private Catholic school for all their mm-hmm. lives for, from high school, excuse me, from elementary all the way through, through high school. Um, and I noticed, you noticed, you may have noticed I didn't mention my grandmother. And the reason is that she never came back into the picture. Um, 
So, so he raised my, and since she had left in, in Cuba, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so it's a story of, of, of trauma and triumph in many ways, um, that, that forges who I am. And mm-hmm. on my pop side, um, he's one of, of five siblings and, um, uh, you know, similar, you know, his own, his own struggle, right. He came at the age of nine. Um, his father's, uh, very much a, a an entrepreneur. That's probably where I get it from. And he, you know, I think when he moved to when when they they got to Miami, like he started all kinds of businesses to try to survive. Like I think he ran a grocery store at one point and uh, a pawn shop at another moment. Um, so I hear a lot of stories of my you know my dad like sweeping floors in the in the grocery store as a kid, um, and the family moving around. So. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is like so ingrained in us and in our families and in immigrant culture, because, you know, like you got to do it <laughs> to survive, to push your family forward. I, it's just so, it's just so a part of immigrant culture, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 We're resilient okay. and resourceful. Yes. Resilient and resourceful. You have all like the best, like you just said trauma and triumph. You just said, <laughs> Um, you, you are good with these, with these titles, but I, I'm curious to see like, um, so for people listening, for people who don't know about, you know, what was happening in Cuba and like things that are still happening yeah. there. Can you, I don't know if you're comfortable with it, but can you talk a little bit about what, why the revolution happened, why people are coming here and maybe like what is still happening mm. in Cuba? Again, if you feel comfortable, because I, I'm going to yeah. just tell you real quick. I watched this documentary that's still by far one of my favorites, but it's called Cuba and the okay. Cameraman. No, I don't I know if you've watched no, it or if anyone else it. has, but it's on Netflix. And I, I kind of just stumble upon it. Sometimes I get into my little like phases where I'm like, I want to watch a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's just kind of like random, random things that I do. But I was, I was watching it and... Oh my God. Like I felt like I learned so much about Gua just from that documentary. And I like kind of became like, you know, like obsessed with learning sure. more about it because there was so much I didn't know. Um, and it just shows, right. Like our, nuestros países, there's so much that happens there. And our parents tell us a little bit, at least like my parents did, but I have no idea what happens in other, in other countries. And so to be able to like see that and learn. So again, for anyone listening, if you want to talk a little bit about what the revolution was, you know, like giving a little more perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. You're making me uncomfortable right now. And, 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 and part, and part, <laughs> I hope no, that's yeah, a good part, thing. <laughs> I was going to say part of my ethos is to embrace it, is to embrace discomfort because I think it, it, um, discomfort is what leads to growth. And in this case, um, Cuba has been mm-hmm. over the last, uh, four to five years has become a, a, a difficult topic for me to access because I, um, I had, um, so I, I've been to Cuba many times and, and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point, but in my kind of early adulthood, um, college years and early, early adulthood years, um, my Cuban identity and, uh, my like sense of responsibility towards Cuba and towards Cuba's future is a, a huge part of my life. And that was, um, was interrupted when I, I, I convinced my mom to go back. So for, first of all, for, for many Cuban Americans, going back to Cuba is a really uh, taboo subject. Um, and is, it is, is something where there's a lot of turmoil and discomfort among families and particularly, particularly the, the, the older generations. And, um, and, you know, sometimes it's a source of conflict um, because a lot of people, a lot of people left Cuba with the, uh, with a conviction. Well, number one, left Cuba not from a sense of free will, like not like no, like very few people chose to leave Cuba. They were forced to leave Cuba, or felt like they were forced to leave Cuba because of the changes that were being made. And and so many of those folks who left felt they they sort of made a a commitment to themselves to not return to Cuba until Cuba was free, until Cuba was um, a democracy again. And so I, I say that just to set it up and I do want to answer your question. Um, I'm going to say why it's difficult first and why it's difficult is, um, a few years ago, my sister and I convinced my mom to come back, go to go to Cuba with us, uh, which is a big deal in my family. 
you know, there was a lot of buildup. We had this incredible two week trip planned where we were going to rent a car and drive all over the Island. And just, I mean, it was the culmination for me of so many, you know, it, it was the culmination of so much love of so much love that I carry for, for that country and for uh, my roots. Yeah. We, so we, we flew to, we flew to Cuba to central Cuba and, you know, the flight was, was nerve wracking, you know, cause there was some fear of like, you know, what if, you know, just my mom's safety, you know, my mom's father was a political prisoner. So would that be an issue? And, mm-hmm. you know, my sister and I produced a documentary on Cuba. And so, you know, we've been vocal about our beliefs and views towards Cuba. And so, you know, all of that can be concerning in, you know, in terms of how you're going to be received. And so, the trip there was beautiful. I remember, I, I won't forget my mom, like being in, in te- like shedding tears of joy, mm-hmm. seeing Cuba come through the window, like, you know, come into sight through the window, you know, and for, for maybe half an hour, like there was like this, this incredible elation, you know, we landed, we, we got off the airplane and walked towards the, the tarmac. And, um, you know, I was just like, we couldn't believe we were here. Like, wow, we're here. We're in Cuba with mom. Like this is this is going to be incredible. And there was so much joy in that moment. And uh, long story, a little longer, um, they didn't let me into the country. They, they told me that I was no longer, no longer welcome in Cuba. So why was that? There's, I mean, they didn't give any explanation. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's an element of arbitrariness. There's an element of like, you know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's a, a, an attempt to penalize me for, uh, you know, for being outspoken uh, with regard to Cuba. Um, but whatever it is, the result was that, you know, it was deeply painful. It was deeply painful. And, you know, my mom particularly, you know, there was this moment in the airport where PS quick pause. I love that you brought this out because I wasn't planning to share this. So this is, this is cool. It's just coming out. So there was a moment in the airport when, you know, we're kind of talking to the, the customs agents and like, you know, sort of like trying to plead, like, you know, what's going on, whatever. And my mom like just gets, gets, gets pissed. And she's like, you know, I came here with so much love and like so much, so much excitement. I've been waiting, you know, decades, you know, I don't remember, I think it was like 40 years or something in her case, you know, to come back and to, to re get to know my, my homeland again. And I will never set foot here again. Yeah. You know, as a result of, you know, them not letting me in and that just, you know, like I, I always knew that that was a possibility. That was something that could happen to me not being let in, mm-hmm. but seeing my mom, have our heart broken, like that just destroyed me. And so ever since then, you know, I've, I've, um, you know, in, in some ways closed the chapter, closed the book on Cuba in my mind and in my heart and just focused on other things and, and, you know, developing myself outside of that identity, which has been beautiful and so fruitful in so many ways, but, um, it makes talking about Cuba difficult. So I'll give you a, a succinct, uh, as succinct a history lesson as I can, because we've been we've been on this for a minute. No, well, thank you. I want to yeah. before you go into it, like thank you for sharing that. Like I know I kind of like surprised you with that one, <laughs> but no, thank you, thank you for sharing that. That's a it's an amazing story, and it's I'm excited to hear the rest of your story based on yeah, what you yeah. just shared, because I know it again. It's all yeah. connected, right? Yeah. But Go ahead. I'm ready for this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, the, you know, where do you start a history, right? <laughs> we can start it in, in, at any moment in time, but for like, for, for vast oversimplification, I'll start at like the turn of the late 19th century. So late 1800s and, you know, Cuba was a, a Spanish colony. Cuba fights for its independence, um, receives support from the U S in that, in that fight for independence. And so there's, uh, so receipt, Cuba earns its independence, um, fights for its independence, but also has this interdependent relationship with the U.S., where the U.S. is, you know, still has a presence and influence on the island. Um, but despite that presence, you know, Cuba um, establishes a constitution and a, a democratic constitution. And so, you know, for the first 50 years of the 20th century, you know, there was transitions of power and there was a, um, you know, there were free elections and, Mm-hmm. And so on, you know, and there was, there was, there was a strong educational system. Um, you know, there was, a, there was the highest literacy rates in little, in Latin America. Now, as with any country, there was plenty of issues and, and, and things that, you know, and injustices and inequities. And so this isn't to paint, you know, uh, you know, this, an image of a perfect place, um, but, but had a lot of things going for it. 
and then in the in 1952, uh, a general General Batista basically is going to lose an election and leads a coup instead, and so he takes over takes over the country and you know basically runs leads a dictatorship for most of the rest of the decade, you know, and and then and then the historical figure everybody knows Fidel Castro kind of comes rises in the in um, in part of the country and leads a guerrilla movement against the against the the dictator and so this is where the, the the story gets complicated because for for many people that rise of that of those uh, of that guerrilla movement was something that was welcomed and was something that was was welcomed as um, as a counter to the dictator but the, the the where it gets complicated is that Castro's stated mission was to restore the constitution was to restore a democratic system with social justice as it's at the forefront, but rooted in a democratic system. And so shortly after he, at the, the revolution triumphs, you know, within a year, a year or two, and, you know, I'm not tight on the history right now, but within a year or two, he basically like pledges allegiance to the Soviet union and says that he's a Marxist, uh, Leninist. Um, and he goes about transforming Cuban society. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so for many of so many folks in in my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, Fidel Castro betrayed his country, betrayed La Patria, and so that's the you know, and and that and that system of government continues to yeah. this day. So even though there's you know there's more of an opening and you know more people have been able to travel and visit, you know, most folks who visit Cuba get to see you know get to see a fraction, and you see what you know on some level you see what you're allowed to mm-hmm. see. Um, and under the surface, there's still a lot of people that are suffering. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's no, my, my abridged, abridged version of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was great. Thank you. I think just for anyone listening who might not know, I think it is just good to know and have that background. Um, and, you know, every country in Latin America, like, goes through their own thing, right? Like, everyone has their thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just important for us to acknowledge, like, these are the things that are happening, but also acknowledge the other side of it and and show the beauty in Cuban culture. Absolutely. And, like, I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but I personally, I've, I've only met a handful of Cubans, but let me tell you the times that I have met them, like, they just have the best food. <laughs> The best food. I'm like all about, ¿cómo se llama la es papa rellena? Am I yeah, saying it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, those are my favorite. I'm like, yes. So good. All the papa rellena. So good. So good. <laughs> yes. But again, it's showing like, yes, of course, like nuestros países, of course, there's things that happen, like drug wars, you know, of course, what people see in the media, unfortunately, mm-hmm. like narcos, drug wars, dictatorship. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, my personal opinion is it doesn't define the culture. You know, it doesn't define la cultura. And this is doing this podcast is also in a way shifting that narrative to also show, yes, we're acknowledging what's happening, the negative stuff. But también vamos a enseñar las cosas bonitas, you know, like we're also going to show the beautiful things about our countries because there is so much beauty. (laughs) Like there's so much beauty in nuestras culturas and who we are. And so talk a little bit about that before we go into your story. I'm jumping around a little bit, but talk yeah. a little bit about your cultura and what you love about being Cuban. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak a little bit to being Cuban and also just, you know, the beauty of, um, of, of connecting to, to, to other Latinos that aren't Cuban. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Miami. Miami is a majority minority city. And so in many ways, in many ways, my experience as a, as a, as a kid is different than the Latino experience in many other places uh, around the country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for me, when I think of what it means to, to, to be, to be Cuban and to, you know, to, to what, what does my culture represent for me? It's, you know, it's Spanglish is the mm-hmm. norm. You know, like I haven't thrown any, I'm, I'm not forcing the Spanish, but it's going to come out and like, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's the norm. And you know, there's, there's some words that get are better expressed in Spanish than in English Um, and vice versa. But you know, uh, you know, music, music, dance, uh, you know, so whether it's salsa or merengue or, um, or song, or, you know, there's, there's such an incredible rich history of that, that underpins our, our culture and underpins our music and our, and our arts. Um, you know, I think in the case of Cuba, you know, I, I can only speak for that is, 
is certainly the Caribbean in some ways is like a, a nexus or like a meeting point mm-hmm. of the Americas. Right. And, you know, and, you know, obviously there was, uh, you know, there, there was, there, there's is a place where, where the indigenous population and the slave population and the colonial population. And, you know, there, there's this, you know, this, this mix of, of cultures that, that takes place that, that, that has forced so many beautiful, um, innovations and, Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much beauty that's come from that. So, you know, I think it's, you know, it, it, when I, I've lived now, I've had the privilege of living in, in multiple cities throughout the U.S., in the in Miami, in the Northeast, um, in L.A., in San Francisco, mm-hmm. in Portland. And and in every place that I've gone to, the the first, when I, when I think about building community, there's something about meeting somebody who has Cuban roots where we, we instantly have mm-hmm. a connection. We instantly have something that that bonds us. And like, I get you in a way that somebody else doesn't get me. Yeah. And similar, similar to that, when I, when I moved to the Bay area, it was, um, it was my first time really truly building community that wasn't uh, Cuban dominant. That was, you know, a, a, a wonderful mix of folks from uh, with roots in all over the, all over Latin America. And that was, yeah. we're in, sorry, we're in the Bay area. Did you go uh, to San Francisco? Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was in San Jose. Oh yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> yeah, I didn't spend much time there. It's hard to it's hard to get there. You know, have a car, which I didn't. In the Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going. No, no, I'm just saying that that you know, and if any of them listen to this, like the people that I got to connect with and bond with on like so many different levels and aspects of who I am live in in you know live in people from that share a heritage, mm-hmm. not just the Cuban heritage, but share the Latin American heritage. You know, it's, it's a sense of, of belonging. It's a sense of like, you know, I have a place in the world mm-hmm. that is, you know, sort of life. giving. And it's, you know, it's so beautiful too. Like I'm hearing you talk about how you've had these connections with Latinos, you know, people who come from different, you know, maybe not Cuban, but different mm-hmm. cultures and that's what I, I've been noticing too. Like the more and more I even do these interviews or the more that I meet people from, you know, diferentes lugares, from diferentes, you know, countries, I'm learning that there's so much that we have in common. And there's so much that, again, like you were saying, we can connect on a level. I may not be like a Honduran level where we're talking about baleadas mm-hmm. and whatnot, mm-hmm. but we're like connecting over just the shared the shared culture that we have, you know, it's just, it's really beautiful to see how connected Latinos really are, no matter what country you come from, no matter, no matter the color of your skin, like there's so much that connects us. And I or, think or, I would, or just to add to that, I would say there's so much, there's so much available to connect us, mm-hmm. right? Like we can choose to connect or we can choose to see yeah. the differences, but, but it's there. Like if, 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 if it's important to find connection, it is there. Oh, absolutely. Well, okay. So I want to hear more about We've heard about your cultura, about Cuba. I want to hear more about you. (laughs) So you talked about like your parents and the immigration story. Talk about, you know, you talked a little bit about Miami, but talk about where you grew up and how that had an effect on like your life. And you can talk a little bit about the journey from growing up as a little Cuban kid in Miami Mm -hmm. to where you are now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, no, I, I know where to start. I think, I think I start with the place of like the, the privilege of growing up in a majority mm-hmm. minority city is that for a good portion of my life, I was able to take my identity for granted and just be, just be a kid, just be a kid. Just, uh, you know, imagine the world was this really like safe and secure and easy to understand place that, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, that's why it was easy to me to focus on, on mm-hmm. football and focus on hip hop and like all these, all these interests and to enjoy, you know, being, being American and being Cuban American. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, that started, that started to shift as I got into high school. I had this, this, uh, this really interesting experience with a sort of Cuban cousin. I don't know if, I don't know if other other countries have this, this idea of a Cuban cousin, but like, it's basically, you know, if you're close enough, if you spend enough time with somebody like their family to you. So, oh, yeah. um, Everyone cousin, exactly. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some folks might remember there was a little boy by the name of Elian Gonzalez, who was the center of this like 
huge international custody dispute whose family was basically mm-hmm. my family. Um, and so when that whole thing was going down, I, I remember it was the first time where I was like, oh, wow, like people don't really get us, don't really understand my community and don't understand like the intricacies here. And so that was the, that was when like my identity was starting mm-hmm. to wake up. And then, you know, when I got to college, I had, I'm, I'm going to, that could have gone heavy and deep and I'm going to, I'm going to keep it. No, light no, no, no. We want to go heavy and deep. deep. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, Oh, I want to know more about that. Okay. Talk about it. <laughs> okay. So I'll give you, um, how much time do we have? <laughs> we got, we got a whole half an hour. All right. So then I'll, I'll be, I'll be succinct then. Basically there was no longer. I mean, I don't have a time, <laughs> a time okay. limit. So. So yeah, so there's a there's a famous back to the Elian story for a second. There is a I mean maybe it's not so famous now, but like you can Google this. <laughs> there was a famous uh, morning where there's like a raid, like literally like a federal raid on my extended family's house, where the boy Elian is taken at gunpoint, and um, my my father for whatever reason like felt that morning that like we needed to be there. And so like literally when we're on the way, we're about to like leave our home to like go to their home, this raid takes place. And so we get there and when we get there, like literally there's still like tear gas in the air. And there's across the street, there's like news cameras from all over the world. Like it's, it's a really chaotic scene. And I remember there's a ABC news does this like live national interview. I think, I think it was Brian Jennings. I might be wrong about that, but, but basically, and it was my, my like, my cousin, my Cuban cousin was like explaining her pain and explaining, like trying to put into words like this moment and what it meant and why it was problematic and traumatic and not the right decision in, in, in her view. And, uh, the thing I remembered in that moment was like this, I don't think this message is landing. I don't think, I don't think people are, are going to understand this. Mm-hmm. And so that 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 lit something up inside of me to want to play a role to have to to do something about changing that. And so, you know, so so I had that that seed was planted there, and then I get to college, and you know, I had a couple funny experiences that made me realize, like, that reinforced the idea, like, you're not in Kansas anymore, or you're not in Miami anymore. Which was, you know, I remember I think by like the sixth girl that I tried to kiss on the cheek as like a hello part of the introduction, <laughs> who churned her face, and I was kissing ears by like the sixth ear that I kissed. I was like, okay, I think this ear, I think this face kissing thing is gonna have to like take a back seat for a minute. <laughs> for those i don't know who knows or doesn't know that but that's just how we greet each other that's just like yeah, you've yeah. Seen, it doesn't matter if you know the person or you don't know the person you grew up in miami no, always um so that was a, a moment of culture shock and then i had another one this one's this one's i think also funny shoot i got two of these so another another one that happening first like first week of college was like the first thing people would say to me was like not like hello like what's your name it was where's your accent from? And oh. at, at the time, I was like, my accent? Where is your accent from? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't know that I was clearing an accent, but apparently it was. And then uh, I, was, I was hanging out with two of my, my dear friends and uh, there was a moment where they, I don't know, somebody said something, I was hanging out with the boys and I said, you guys got to stop. Can I curse on this? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, so there's a moment where I was like, oh, you guys got to stop eating shit. And it was like, it was like a moment where if you're watching, it's like a record scratch, like, you know, like everything just like, like stop. (laughs) And they both look at me with this puzzled face, like what on earth did you just say? And so like in that moment, I'm like, time has stopped and I'm frozen. And I'm just like processing my mind, like what the hell did I just say? And why did that land so poorly when that's a normal thing for me to say? And what I realized- Wait, say it again. What what was it that you said? Eating shit. I was like, why are you eating so much shit or stop (laughs) eating shit? Something like that. And- and that's when it hit me that the reason I say, and not just me, but like everybody in my culture says eating shit is because eating shit is a translation of comiendo mierda. Mm-hmm. 
And so if somebody's comiendo mierda... That's the first thing I thought about. I was like, oh, he's probably translating from Spanish. Exactly, exactly. So I thought they were comiendo mierda, but we just immediately translated it to like eating shit and they didn't know what the heck I was saying. Right. So again, not <laughs> in Miami anymore. And, uh, yeah. and you know, so from there, I started a, a Cuban-American Student Association. I started a nonprofit that focused on empowering youth in Cuba. And mm. you know, so that that experience of building that nonprofit Roots of Hope was... A tremendous experience because it 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 allowed me to experience firsthand the power of having a vision of like bringing something to life and mm-hmm. the process of working with a group of people that you really like respect and enjoy and who challenge you and working together to create that and to build it out and so over the you know the the nonprofit is still in existence today in a different form but you know i, I founded it i had a huge role in developing it we expanded to like 99 universities Wow. We worked with all sorts of celebrities and did just amazing work trying to bridge the gap between the Cuban American community and the Cuban community. And the focus being on youth and empowering youth to to be the authors of their future. Mm, I love that. I don't know where I was going with that, but (laughs) oh, oh, so what I was saying was that the, that was for me, that was sort of a turning point because, you know, all my life had been about football and now I'm playing football at Princeton, which is wonderful. We won a, mm. an Ivy League championship while I was there, which was a really wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it was the transition of like, oh, football's not my life anymore, and like, there's there's other mm. things for me to explore and and expand upon. And so for me, that was you know, how can I be of service? How can I, you know, not just um, you know, not just profit from my education and the privilege of my education but how can i give back and how can i and how can i use that also to continue to develop myself as a person and as a leader mm-hmm. so that inspired me to join teach for america which was something that was for me out of left field teaching oh wow i didn't know you were you were a teacher that one a part of the program teaches for america yeah yeah i was That's a awesome. third, third, third grade bilingual teacher in oh pues míralo Arthur <laughs> park area of la which was incredible experience that's awesome so wow so that was like you went from like this kid in Miami who was all about football and like that was your goal and your dream to like really being this entrepreneur and giving back to your community and your roots exactly exactly and uh Mm, you know it was it was it was interesting the choice for me because a lot of my classmates were going out of fresh out of college to make a shit ton of money (laughs) like straight up um you know, and that was, that was something that for me, I remember having this mindset of like, the money's going to be there, but this is important to shape me and, uh, and to, yeah, continue to develop me into the person that I need to become. Mm. How, okay. So I want to, I want to ask you about that. How, how was that experience for you? Cause one thing that I know I've struggled with, and I know a lot of people that come from immigrant families have struggled with, but like trying to chase the passion and and your calling and your purpose, knowing that you're not going to make money, right? Like you're not going to make money yet, right? Like the money isn't there right away. But like, there's that pressure of sometimes when you come from immigrant families, first generation families, there's that pressure of making money, right? You go to school, like you need to have all these things. How how did you how did you balance that? How did you manage that? Because I know that's a struggle. I've struggled through that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. how did you do it? Inspire us. Inspire well, us, Chris. Uh, I'm just gonna keep it real. And if that if that serves a purpose, then no, then, keep it real. Know. Keep it real. So you know, I, I think the first thing is I got to give a humongous credit to my parents first because they number one to this day they are like incredibly resilient and self sufficient and. And so they, they did their best to not pressure me, you know, their whole, Mm -hmm. of course, their whole lives were geared towards giving me and my sister a better future and to, you know, making our dreams come true. And so, you know, there, I didn't have extra pressure from them. Like, Hey, you know, you gotta now, okay, you did your part. You did, you did this. Now you gotta help us. (laughs) It was more Mm -hmm. like, you, okay if this is what you really want to be doing. And there was questions and doubts. Like my mom was like, you're going to, you just went to Princeton and now you're going to teach? Like, <laughs> question mark? Like, you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I think part of that is, um, you know, er, er, I, I talked about trauma earlier, right? And like every one of us, me, my parents, 
my siblings, you, anybody listening to this, like we all carry our trauma. And part of our trauma yeah. is, like, is, is these things is like the fear. And in, in, in I think in my family's case, or my mom's case, maybe the fear of, of, of poverty and the fear of, uh, mm-hmm. of not having enough and want her wanting me to have better. And to, for me to never face what she faced as a kid and what my mm-hmm. dad faced as a kid, you know? And so, and over, so over many years, I feel like it was, it was, there was a dance sort of going between like a trust from my parents' side, a little bit of trust and a little bit of fear mm-hmm. and me doing my best to, to both reassure them and to, you know, stay grounded in my conviction, you know, and the reassuring them part was like, listen, I'll never be poor. Period. Yeah. Like there's, there's, you know, will I, am I immune to hard times? You know, we're in a pandemic. Things are crazy. Can things get crazier? Sure. Like, you know, mm-hmm. can things happen that could really throw things off? Yes. But all things being even, like I'm never going to be poor. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been able to do is even as, you know, my, I've, I've never, you know, made a tremendous salary. And even as I'm building, you know, even as I've chosen continue to this day to not take a high paying job and to actually build my own business and to, um, you know, bet on myself in that way. Um, I've been able to, to create a life for myself since, Mm -hmm. since the beginning of when, you know, I was a, a low paid teacher where my life is dope. Like I'm, yeah. you know, like, I, like the fact that I have X amount of money versus something that was double or triple that, like I've created for myself, I've, I've created for myself a life that I am proud of, that I love living. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's, there's, there's beauty in that. Part of the beauty is, you know, I think back to like one of the privileges of going to this Catholic school as a kid was, was being exposed to wealth and seeing families that did have a lot of money and seeing that. Mm-hmm. And like that wasn't the end all. That wasn't the solution to like, you know, if you had a bunch of money in a really nice house and a really nice car, like that doesn't mean your life is like sweet, not necessarily. Right. Yeah. You know, and I saw, I was able to like get a window into that world and see like, oh, like there's still family issues here. Like these people might actually mm-hmm. not be happy. And so, you know, for me, that, that was the beginning of something that I like, I was able to define, you know, only a few years ago, which was that. I, I, I've made a choice to live my life from the inside out and to create, mm, create after that. <laughs> yeah. And to create a life that I'm like, I love right now and, mm-hmm. and, and building a foundation for when I do have money, this life is going to be super dope. <laughs> like, you know, like I've yeah, got, I, I've got sure. my, my internal stuff in order and that makes everything else easier. And that makes everything else clearer. Oh my God. So, you know, it's so funny last night I saw something that, you know, you just reminded me of, but it said like, everyone's always trying to manifest the material things, you know, like a job, car, money, mm-hmm. um, like just material things. But it, it was like, don't forget to also manifest healing and, and inner peace and, just the internal part, you know, like that's the real glow up. Right. And I just posted something the other day about it, (laughs) but it's so true. I mean, like the internal work takes so much and it's often hidden. It's often like the last thing on your mind. And I agree with you when, when, when you said like you, you've decided to live your life from the inside out. It's just, it's powerful when you realize the internal healing is crucial for you to live a happy life. You can have all the, you know, money in the world, but if you don't have that inner peace, if you don't have that healing, if you don't have that happiness intrinsically, like it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think is not obvious about that? And I think it's important Mm -hmm. to say is that who we are and who we are is influenced by our trauma and by the healing work Mm -hmm. that we do. Who we are shows up in every aspect of our life. So whatever, yeah. whatever we haven't worked through, whatever internal work we're avoiding, mm-hmm. that's showing up with our friends, that's showing up with our parents, that's showing up with our significant so others, that's showing up at work, yeah. that's showing up with ourselves. So mm-hmm. to me, it's like, yeah, I made a, I made a decision five <laughs> years ago that I was, that, you know, come what may, I'm living from the inside out. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how your experience was with that, but let me just say the internal work, the internal healing is not an easy process. It 
So it's, and I talk about this so often because I'm all about personal growth. And Mm -hmm. I know that sounds kind of like a lot of people overuse the term without realizing there's so much to it and it looks differently. But in my opinion, I always tell people like my journey to personal growth was really hard. (laughs) It was not rainbows, butterflies. There's definitely beauty in the process, but unraveling these layers, the trauma and I mean, even like people say ancestral, like your ancestors, like there's trauma, there's there, there's trauma there too. Like your yeah. roots, your family, your history, it, it's all connected mm-hmm. and being, having the courage and the vulnerability to really like unravel those layers. It's hella hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like hella triggering. It's like, I, I like always tell people the last two years, I never like had so many mental breakdowns in my life, but mm-hmm. it was like, that's what I had to go through to really like get in touch with the core of who I am. And I don't, again, I don't know what your experience is like, but for me, that's what personal growth has meant for, for my journey. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. And, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I think the, the flip side to that, you know, presuming that some folks listening you know, don't maybe may not have a ton of experience with this and it might be new to them, you know, and it, it's not, this isn't like masochism, right? Like this isn't like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like just pain. Right. And, and there's no, nothing yeah. of like, of, of, for me, this is clearly a lifelong process. This isn't something that, you know, sure. I get to an end point and I'm good. Like, no, cause I continue yeah. to live and I continue to have experiences that, that shape me and that, um, you know, I think it's important to, you know, have this, an ongoing sense of awareness and to have support around that. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, that's where my work is today. Um, you know, I mentioned. Yeah. That- so talk about it. I think that's the perfect segue into what you do now. Yeah. This is the cafecito and cheese portion. Hey. <laughs> my cafecito? Talk to us about what you're doing with, um, rise on saying it right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Rise on, rise on, you know, rise on, rise on exists in our, in our kind of fancy talk to actualize, to, to actualize humans from the inside out mm-hmm. you know, on a really practical level, we are all, and particularly when I say we are all, I think these are, I think, I do think these are universal things that everybody struggles with, but mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the community that I serve and that we serve predominantly first generation, predominantly Latino, predominantly folks who, who, who've been educated is that there's, there's these like three core areas that, we see folks struggling with number one is self-doubt and and self-doubt for that group of people is particular like your imposter syndrome survivor's guilt there's there's all sorts of stuff that we have picked up along the years that causes us to doubt our abilities causes causes us to doubt if we belong causes us to doubt if we're capable of if we deserve it Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one core thing that we focus on. Another core thing we focus on is is uh, relationship challenges, and this takes the the the. Right now, we just finished a, a deep listening series that was that for a lot of folks involved relating differently to their parents um, and resolving you know relationship challenges with with parents um, that come from a different generation that come from a different mindset um, yeah. and and who and who shine a mirror, hold a mirror to ourselves because we are them <laughs> because mm-hmm. whatever, whatever they are lives within us. Yeah. You know, and then, and then the final piece is isolation, right? And, and the isolation is a little bit of a misnomer because folks often think like, Oh, you know, I got a bunch of friends. I'm not isolated or, you know, I'm, I'm an extrovert. So I'm not isolated or that person. But the type of isolation we, we're talking about is an emotional and spiritual isolation. It's that feeling of like, nobody knows that I'm struggling with this or nobody truly knows me and understands me. And so what we've done is, is create a space for, for folks to move through that powerfully, to gain clarity, to gain direction via process of mindful introspection. Um, and so we, mm-hmm. we, for the last two years, we've been leading weekly live sessions that are like group fitness, but for mental and emotional health. And we've got an incredible mm-hmm. community of folks who are, are, you know, doing this work together and growing and challenging each other and supporting each other. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been an incredible journey so far. And we've got so many yeah. places that we want to go and take it from here. What, what was the catalyst? Like what made you want to start something like this? Well, the catalyst was, was my journey. And the, the specific part of my journey was, 
I was living in Portland and I was, I had started a different business and I had moved there to pursue a relationship. And for the first year I was there, everything was, was just soaring. Um, and then it wasn't, and I experienced a, a, a bout of depression. Um, mm-hmm. my business, uh, began to, uh, to lose steam. Uh, my relationship began to lose steam and those, those two things kind of, uh, imploding at the same time. Mm-hmm. put me in a place that I that I never thought I would be in mm-hmm. a place of, of just deep pain and a place of place of uh, uh, oh, 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 an asking of myself of how did I get here how did this happen and what what I realized was that very unconsciously I had set myself up to fail I had invested my own sense of self-worth in these external pursuits and external mm-hmm. validation. Yeah. Now understand, like you don't I'm, see me, but I'm snapping my fingers because I'm like, oh, I right. do the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as as a as an overachieving first generation kid, like, you know, mm-hmm. I had to have self-confidence and I did have self-confidence and I did have to believe in myself and I did. And so it was it was a huge surprise that my self-worth was so fragile. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, what caused me to start a journey on, on moving, living from the inside out, like formally. I think in many ways I had been planting seeds for that in my life until that point. But that's mm-hmm. when I was like, I need, to, I need to take care of myself first. And I need to put myself in a position where no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And, and I don't have control over the outcomes of the things that are important to me. Like I, no matter how much I love this person, I cannot guarantee that that relationship is going to work. No matter how hard I work at this job or at this startup, there is no guarantee that it's going to succeed. And so if mm-hmm. that's the, if that's reality, then how can I make sure that no matter what happens, that I can be okay and I can be well and I can be whole. And oh. so that got me on this process. Um, I love it. I love it. No, Chris, like you have no idea. I'm like literally snappy. I'm like <laughs> nodding. I'm like, yes, because... I haven't, I don't share this story very openly, but the catalyst for me to even start my own personal growth journey and like really embracing who I am was almost very similar to what you went through. Like everything, I swear to you, like everything felt like it was just like, what's that saying? People are like, um, when it rains, it pours, right? That's how it felt. I was like, wow, everything's going wrong. (laughs) You know, like my relationship, my four-year relationship was ending and Mm -hmm. I saw it coming and I was like, I don't know how to like stop it. And then I was like unhappy at work wise. I was like, like, I felt like I was a failure because I was like, I graduated college and I'm not like happy and I don't know what to do. I was couch surfing too. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a whole thing. (laughs) It was a whole like a couple months. It was like four or five months of just me, like everything just going wrong. Like even to the little things, like my car was breaking down. I was like, if it wasn't one thing, it was another. Like literally everything was just like falling apart. Mm-hmm. When I look back at it now, though, the way that I look at it is what was happening was my my own, again, like you were saying self-worth, but like everything that was going on inside, the things that I was avoiding, the things I was bottling up, my own self-worth, all of that was manifesting itself and in, mm-hmm. in my relationships and my external and my environment, you know, like that's why things were going wrong. It was because I was like, not happy with myself, not happy intrinsically. And so like, without me even knowing, and I know this now, like looking back, but like everything was just manifesting itself the way I was feeling inside. And it's like crazy to think about, but that's really what motivated me to begin. Like you were saying, like, just really looking on the inside and like not putting my happiness, my self-worth, in relationships and things and jobs and other people, but like mm-hmm. finding it for myself. So when you said that, I was like, oh, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then there's a layer of like the first gen, right? Like you don't want to disappoint. So I'd call home and be like, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, mm-hmm. everything's like going up mm-hmm. in like flames. I'm like, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy. Yep. Yep. It's like that meme with the the character in the, in the flame. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was just thinking. I, I remember that it, I got two little anecdotes for you. One is I remember in my relationship. I remember, you know, I don't know. You, when you're in a long, I was in a five year relationship, and you know, at various moments, you ask yourself like, oh, is this, you know, is this my lifelong partner? Is this somebody that I'm gonna be mm-hmm. with? 
And, uh, and I remember like trying to ask myself that question of like, what's the answer to this question? And I remember that like, some days the answer was yes. And some days the answer was no. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was, and there was at some moment where I realized like, Oh, this is crazy. The days that I feel good about myself and I'm like happy about the world, like all of a sudden the relationship's great. And the yeah. days when, I when I don't feel good and when I'm not, when something is going wrong, like all of a sudden the relationship is struggling. Yes. And I yep. was like, Ooh, okay. So the issue here is me. <laughs> like, yep. I'm the common denominator here. I'm the common denominator here. Yeah. But the, yeah. the other piece that just to close the loop on like, how did, how did the business get started was I was, um, I had been late. I had been fired from a job. I had been fired from a job a week into it and, um, mm. was spending time with my now, with my best friend and my now business partner, John and Mita, who I think you'll get a chance to talk to soon. And, um, and we, we, we bonded and vibe so hard that like we knew we needed to create something and we weren't sure what mm. it was going to be. And then I was at a, I was at a daytime uh, party with another of, celebrating a friend's birthday and uh and one of my boys comes up to me and taps actually he's from san diego shout out to jesse uh he comes in and taps, <laughs> yeah, he taps me on my shoulder and he's like yo chris i feel like we need to have a retreat just for the homies and i feel like you need to lead it mm. and so at this moment i had been like trying to build like okay i need to like hustle and like let me build this consulting business and and let me go that route mm-hmm. all the while knowing like well i don't know what i knew all i know is i knew when mm-hmm. i got that tap on the shoulder and he said that i was like oh that's yeah. interesting. And, and the, the, I think the interesting part of that is that life showed up in an unexpected way. And I said, yes. And mm-hmm. six weeks later, we did our first experience. We, we did a retreat with just, with just, uh, um, a collection of guys, um, called the Kings only. Oh. And, <laughs> and immediately, immediately after that, it was like, so clear, like, Oh, a, we need to keep doing this. B, this is only the start. Like, this, this, this awesome experience that we created is just a small window into what people need, which is this ongoing support, this idea of like, okay, listen, right now, a lot of people listening to this probably follow a bunch of like amazing Instagram accounts that have like inspirational posts and like about, you know, healing and growth and all these things. And that's mm-hmm. dope. And look, Rise On, we do that too. But the work, the internal work is not a, is not a knowledge game. It doesn't matter mm. how much you know. What matters is what do you practice? What do you live? How do you integrate that into your day-to-day life when you're dealing with, you know, a bad day, when you're dealing mm-hmm. with a partner or a relationship or a boss or a coworker that triggers you? What do you yeah. do with that? And how do you manage that? And so that's what we've, that's the space that we seek to be in is um, we're going to help uplift people and we're going to do it in a way that's real, that's true, that resonates um, and that is applicable to day to day. Oh, I love it. So my question for you is, is this only for guys or is it open to all? How can people get involved with it? How can people support? How can they find you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we started serving men, but no, we serve, uh, we serve anyone right now. Like I said, our, anybody is welcome to join us. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we do have a, a heavy lens that is focused on first gen and, 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 uh, Latinx and folks who are educated. Like it's, there's a particular mix of people that, that we tend to be serving right now. Um, mm-hmm. But we also have people who from all sorts of backgrounds and the best way right now to, to join us is to um, basically sign up, sign up on our, on our website, which is riseon.life, www.riseon.life. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at same riseon.life. Um, and just reach out to us, out to us drop it in and, you know, we, we'd love to, we'd love to serve anybody who, who feels called and feels, uh, some resonance with what we're saying. Yes. Well, I'm definitely going to sign up cause I need, you know, I love all of these types of things and the fact that it's led by, you know, to, I don't know if, if John is all, John, yeah. Jonathan, yeah. if mm-hmm. he's a uh, first gen, but I love that it's led by Latinos, like love it. Both of us, both of us. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Well, I, I know we're running out of time, but Chris, thank you. I want to do one more thing before we, before we end. Sure. And that's our brindis. I don't know Ooh. if you brought a drink. <laughs> I got um, I'm like running out of my cafecito already. It's already like 12, but like. <laughs> Yo, I missed the memo. I should have grabbed the cafecito. I'm, I'm in Little Havana right now. There's so many options for oh, cafecito. You got, you got options. <laughs> but you know, I got, I got a water bottle and you know, Hydration matters. Yeah. So I'm not, you know. <laughs> well, I want to end with the Vinindis. And okay. 
I love ending it. I, I stole this idea from another show that I love, another podcast, but I love the idea of doing a brindis, which is so common in, in nuestra cultura. Yeah. And I'm doing it differently because it's with the cafecito, you know, redefining what brindis means, but also manifesting some good for our community because yeah. I think I'm, I believe in the power of not only manifesting, but putting in work in that manifest in that manifestation, you know? So but I also believe when you put the words out there, like, I don't know, like God, the universe, like there's work being done. So mm-hmm. I would love for you to have, you know, to, to choose what we're going to cheers, mm. cheers to and manifest some good for our Latino Ooh. community. <laughs> Deep breaths. This is uh, quite the time that we're living through. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm just taking a moment to, to recognize the, the diversity of experiences. And, you know, there's a lot of folks who are struggling really deeply right now. And, um, you know, I want to, I want to, how about this? Brindo por corazón. I'll cheers, I'll cheers to the heart that, that, that we carry within us, that, that heart that, um, that is resilient, that is full of love, that is, shine so bright and um you know and i and i think there's i think there's power in owning that and a power in um in living from that place so mm. here's to tapping into that and uh trusting trusting in that yes salud thank you so much chris salud. i appreciate this conversation i'm i'm walking away like hella inspired and ready to be a part of rise on yeah. <laughs> muchas gracias honestly thank you thank you Muchísimas gracias a ti y un saludo a todos. Thank you for tuning into today's episode with Chris Gates. Connect with him on IG at one Chris Gates and follow Rise On on IG at riseon.life. And for more info on Rise On retreats, membership, coaching, and other resources, visit www.riseon.life. Y otra cosa, fun fact, his Rise On co-founder, John, will also be a guest on Hello Latino soon, so stay tuned. Remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday. So here's to more cafecito and cheese sessions and more hella Latino love. Follow me on Twitter at Oladis Jasmine, Instagram at ojasmine 4 as and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña.